You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, Spies Sent to Jericho. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So they forded across the river at a shallow point. The place they were sent from, Shittim in Hebrew, was also called Acacia Grove. Acacia trees are a hardwood that can grow anywhere from 20 to 70 feet. They are found all over the world, but they favor jungles and deserts. The Israelites have been here before. This was where they committed adultery and idolatry seduced by the Moabites, recorded in Numbers 25. It was situated in the foothills about seven miles east of the Jordan, and Jericho was seven miles west of the river. It was the final stopping point before the Promised Land. Jericho was known as the City of Palm Trees. It was the center of Canaan, and to take it would be to drive a wedge between north and south. It was an obvious first target. So the Bible is an honest book, stating things as they are. It says, in several places in Scripture, that Rahab was a harlot, a woman who sold her body for money. So we have no reason to believe otherwise. Some people try to downplay this by saying she was just an innkeeper. However, in those days, only men were innkeepers. In written bills of that time, the cost of the bed is listed as a girl whose services would have been included. It was therefore natural for the spies to lodge there, as it would have been the only place to stay in a small place like Jericho. They would think it would make them look less conspicuous. Verses 2-7, to Rahab hides the spies and lies about it. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stacks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the ground, on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So somehow the king of Jericho heard there were Jewish scouts in the city. They were on high alert. The kings in those days were in charge of city-states. The spies were probably not dressed like people in Jericho, so the king called for their immediate capture. Meanwhile, Rahab had become aware of their true identity of the guests and had hidden them on her roof under stacks of flax. Her house would have been built on the double city wall, so it would have been higher than any other, preventing it from prying eyes. The spies were safe. Verses 8-21, through 21, Rahab's Appeal and the Agreement Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, 
and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to me and my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills, so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us, unless, when we enter the land, you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she, sa she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. So Rahab misled and deceived the king's messengers. She did this by telling three outright lies. She said they did, she didn't know where they came from, verse 4, and she said the men went out and she didn't know where they went, verse 5. So what are we to make of this? The Bible describes true events, but that doesn't mean it condones her lying. In the book of Hebrews and James, Rahab is commended for her faith in God and her action of hiding the spies and sending them out another way, not her lies. But does the end justify the means, since she is remembered positively? Would you say it's okay to lie in some circumstances? Is that what is being taught here? For example, some see an equivalent situation in World War II, when people would hide Jews from the Nazis. The greater good was saving their lives. Lying was a lesser evil than betraying them to death. God knows the difference between lying to protect a life and deceitful lies to protect ourselves. Then, while they were searching the countryside, she talked with the spies. She told them she knew that God had given them the land. Her people had heard about the miracle God had done for them in parting the Red Sea, and this was forty years after the fact. Word got around. She said the men of Jericho had lost courage to face the Israelites because of their God. So she was a wise woman who acted in light of proper information. She used discretion in talking about them and shrewdness in hiding them. She was hoping that in light of what she had done for them, 
they would do something for her. Please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family, because I have shown kindness to you. She makes them swear by God, because she knew then they would keep their promises. She was sure that when the people of Israel attacked, her people didn't have the slightest chance against them. She had heard what they had done to the kings east of the Jordan River, Og and Bashan. She chose to go against her people and their gods and to side with God and his people. She asked for a sure sign, meaning something tangible, as evidence that they would save her when their armies returned to take the city. They told her to put a scarlet cord in, on her window, and no one who was inside with her would be harmed. Some commentators think this scarlet cord represented her occupation, that it was her red light in the window, and therefore would not arouse suspicion. That may or may not be true, but it represented an agreement between the two parties. The Jews did not make oaths lightly, but made sure she understood the conditions. She must bring her family inside, they must remain there until they were retrieved, and she must secure the scarlet cord in the window. She must not tell anyone else about it. She agreed to the terms. She told them where to hide and for how long, because their continued safety meant they could return to fulfill their promise. As soon as they left, she bound the cord, even though they would not return for a few days. She took it seriously and didn't want there to be any mistake. Verses 22 to 24, Return and Report When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. The rugged mountains to the west provided many hiding places. Unlike the ten out of twelve spies forty years earlier, who gave a bad report and discouraged the people and made them afraid, these two spies, like Joshua and Caleb, were confident that God would give them the victory because he had already weakened the morale of the people of Jericho. They even used the same phrase as Rahab had, they melted in fear. So this fulfilled God's promise to Israel that God would make the surrounding nations afraid of them. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. That's Exodus 23:27. And Deuteronomy 2.25 says, This very day I will begin to put the terror and fear of you on all the nations under heaven. They will hear reports of you and will tremble and be in anguish because of you. So this fear wasn't just fear for the sake of fear, but it would result in their defeat by Israel. God told Joshua, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. So the reaction of the people of Jericho is also a sad picture of the end of time when people understand that they are about to experience the wrath of God, yet they still refuse to repent. So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? Rahab could have just made an arrangement to save only herself, but she had concern for the lives of her relatives 
and included them in the covenant. So even when we know we are safe in Christ, we desire the same for everyone we know, especially our family members. Like Rahab's relatives had to be in her house to be saved, we must be in Christ to be safe from judgment. Rahab's faith was demonstrated by her actions. We must also have works that demonstrate the genuineness of our faith. Rahab didn't deserve to be saved from wrath. She and everyone else in Jericho were under the judgment of God. From the viewpoint of many people, she is not a likely candidate for the blessing of God. But God had mercy on her, so Joshua sent spies who happened to go to the home of the one person in the city who had true faith. They were sent there so God could save this outsider, graft her into the family of faith, and eventually include this notorious sinner as an ancestor of King David. But more importantly, she is in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. So this gives hope for all outsiders, sinners, Gentiles, that no one is beyond reach as long as we demonstrate faith. And God can redeem anyone. In fact, he goes out of his way to do so. We are saved by grace. So this is yet another foretaste of the promise made to Abraham that through his descendants all the world would be blessed. And this would be fulfilled as the Gentile nations come to faith in Christ. So Joshua doesn't get angry with the spies for making this deal with a prostitute, but sees the hand of God in it. The spies were let out through a window on the city wall to be rescued from the king's edict. The same thing would happen to the Apostle Paul when King Aretas had the city gates of Damascus guarded in order to catch him, recorded in Acts 9 and 2 Corinthians 11. So the spies told Rahab the sign between them would be a literal scarlet cord in the window. The color is fitting as it is the color of blood reminding us of the Passover blood over the door, and they spoke of the blood being on their own heads or on the heads of the Jews if either side didn't fulfill their side of the oath. The scarlet cord is a symbol that's often used when speaking of how Christ is hidden in the Old Testament, woven into the familiar stories hinted at in symbols and types and shadows. The whole Bible, both Old and New Testaments together, speaks of Christ. From the first promise of a coming Messiah in Genesis 3.15 to the Passover lamb and the manna from heaven and the rock smitten to provide water for the people of Israel to the bronze serpent on the pole to the sign of Jonah in the depths for three days, he is there until he appears in the New Testament in fulfillment of the prophecies, types and shadows of the Old Testament, Jesus is the scarlet cord that saves those who believe what he says. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Joshua chapter 3. May God bless the study of his word.